Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. First Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Concentrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he concentrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but looks, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from the day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. We pray for us. We'll get going, God. We love you. We thank you for your word. May we see you today above all. May we see you. Open our eyes so we can see you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Brad. It's an honor to serve as the lead teaching pastor here at Hill City Church. So... I want to start this morning with like the human condition. This is not me pointing fingers. This is just we can look around the room, heads on a swivel. This is just a true thing of all of us, okay? And here it is. What we want most of the time is actually not what we need. What we want and desire the most uh, almost always is not what's right and what's good for us. Furthermore, I'd say when people do get what they want or what they think they want, it usually doesn't go well. Now, this statement took me down the rabbit hole of lottery winners, okay? And the data's out there. Like 70% of the people that win millions of dollars, they end up broke within seven years, okay? And a huge chunk of them end up filing bankruptcy. But I, started, I just started reading like real stories of real people, and man, most of most of the stories are tragic. Like I'm talking like they end in suicides, busted families, like messed up life. And so many people who are like, I just want millions and millions of dollars and they got it. And almost all of them who were still alive said, I wish I would have ripped it up. I wish I would have ripped the ticket up and thrown it away. This has been miserable. This is terrible. And, And it's just like, 
And, and the reason is because we're just not awesome at choosing. Again, that's not some shame statement. We don't need, it's just the human condition. And I only point that out this morning because God lives or operates in a different system than, than what we operate in, or, or, he, or he operates in a different economy. Now, what I mean by that is what the world values is like uh, maybe the word popularity, meaning the love of the people. I want people to see me, and I want people to love me, and I want people to glorify me. Listen, social media has proven this. That's not like an opinion anymore. That's what we value. That's what the world values. The world values stuff. Let's go get toys. Let's go get more toys. Let's, this is really what matters in life. The world values external beauty. So much to the point that we objectify people who are image bearers, which is all of us. And maybe it's objectify them in order just to sell a piece of clothing, or maybe it's even worse that we objectify them for some uh, dark pleasure. But either way, external beauty is something the world puts high value on. Ease is another one. Like this is the world's economy. And the good news this morning is in God's system, in God's economy, it's none of that. And that's actually really good news this morning. Now, what God places high value on is character. What God places high value on is things like humility. What God places high value on is actually his glory. God places high value on his story. God knows that he is God. That's really good news this morning. And God is the lead. We are not the center of this world. We're not even the center of our world. God is. And the reason I'm telling you that is because we're just not awesome at choosing. But the good news this morning is, is that God is with us. Amen? If you're following the Lord, he's with you. And he can help you choose. Because left to ourselves, we're not going to make awesome choices. And this takes us to our series that we're in called The Throne. So by way of review... We started our first week, and Israel demanded a king. We want a king to go before us in our battles. We want a king to lead us, and it was idolatry. And God said, okay, that's what you want. I'm going to give you what you want. This is what you're going to choose. You're not awesome at choosing, but I'm going to allow this to happen. And listen, it doesn't go well for Israel. And then we saw last week the king, the man that became king over them was Saul, King Saul. And we saw how insecure that he was. And he had some short-lived success, yes. But eventually Saul just didn't do what God asked him to do. And what actually cost him the throne. And we ended last week with Samuel looking at Saul. And he said, your kingdom will be torn from you. Now listen, this won't happen immediately. It's not like God says this, okay, wake up the next day, Saul's out, somebody else is in. That's not how it worked. It will be torn. Saul will spend the rest of his miserable life. And listen, it's miserable. It's a tragic life that Saul lives from here on out. And he tries to hang on to his idol, the throne, and God tears it from his hand. So we get into our passage today, and I just want to bring you with me into like, 
a journey once again this week, maybe a scene in a movie. And our scene starts in verse 1, and it's God and God's man that starts us this morning. And we're going to see some new characters introduced this week. But an older character from our first two weeks, we see God and God's man. Verse 16.1 says, the Lord and Samuel. That's God and God's man. And God says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? So right out of the gate, you're reading that going, man, God seems like cold. That seems harsh. Here a guy is like hurting. What's God's problem? Well, I want us to go back because I wasn't able to talk about this last week. But in chapter 15, verse 11, God was also grieving about this. He wasn't looking at Samuel going, man, just quit being a wimp. Like, suck it up, dude. We got work to do. No, God grieved. You just, it's just easy to miss, right? So Saul screws it all up. And and in verse 11 of chapter 15, here's what God says. He says, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me. And he's not performed my commandments. Now, we hear that word regret. When God says, I regret, he does not mean it the same way that we say, I regret. Okay, some of you regret what you ate last night. You're not feeling it this morning, okay? Some of you regret a date that you went on a few years ago. You're like, oh, I still haven't recovered from that. So when God says, I regret, he's not saying, well, didn't see that coming. Saul disobeyed. What are we going to do now? That word, when God says, I regret, it's, it's him saying, I am grieved in my heart that Saul has done this. So God grieved. He's not cold. He's not harsh. He's just looking at Samuel, who was also properly mourning over Saul's rebellion and over a kingship that was messed up. See, the failure of Saul, Samuel knew this is going to greatly affect God's people, and it broke his heart. Samuel had given his life to this, and he's like, I've given my, my life to this, and it's like, and it has failed, and his heart was broken. Like, things did not go the way that Samuel thought they would go, and he was mourning. Anybody ever have something not go the way that you thought it would go? Okay? And it's, it's okay to grieve and to mourn that. But there are times, there will be a time that you have to stand up and you got to wipe your tears and you just have to move forward in what God has planned. And that's what God is saying here. Hey, I am still faithful. Samuel, here we go. I have got a plan. And that is what verse 1 tells us. Fill your horn with oil, Samuel, and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So there's good news all over that verse. The good news that God is still faithful. The good news that God will get his glory. Now, I want us to go back to chapter 13 very quickly. Because God had told Samuel, here's the deal. Saul screwed this up. He will not be king. I will go find a man after my own heart. Who has heard that phrase, a man after my own heart? And all the church kids, raise their hand. Who's heard that? That David, a man after God's own heart. That was the weakest hand raise we've had in the history of this church. Who has heard David, a man after God's own heart? Yes, okay. So just hold on. I'm about to smash some Sunday school dreams here, okay? That verse is not about David. When God said, I will go find a man after my own heart, he's not talking about David's heart. He's talking about his heart. See, Saul was a king and a man 
who were the type of king that was in the people's heart. Saul was a man after the people's heart. And God says, okay, he screwed that up. Now I'm going to go get a man that's after my heart, the type of man that I want to be king. It is a verse about God and not a verse about David. Which takes us then to our next passage. If you were here last week, we talked about a play. we got to run the play. Well, God gives Samuel the play. Go to Jesse. And then Samuel's like, well, how am I going to go? Saul's going to kill me. And then God said, nope, here's what you're going to do. Invite Jesse to a sacrifice. I'll show you what to do. And then anoint for me him who I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded. He came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Now why do I bring that to our attention? Samuel's walking into town. He's walking into Bethlehem. People see him. They're like, Oh no, oh no. This isn't going to be good. They knew who he was. Right? They knew he was God's man. Maybe he was, at times it was like, man, these, these guys bring judgment. Maybe they bring a message from God that, that isn't good. But, but no matter what, they're like, oh, no, this is God's man. Like, like, like what, what's going on here? Is this blessing? Is this curse? What is it? But the point of the story is they knew exactly who he was. And this is going to matter because of what Jesse does when he moves forward with what God told him to do. So enter Jesse. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the, the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Well, here's what happens. He gets into town. He's like, I'm here. The Lord has sent me. I got to anoint a king. So what does Jesse do? I've got your guy, my most kingly son. Like, he was a starting quarterback in high school, stud, super good looking. This is the guy, super kingly. And Samuel sees him and he's like, yeah, surely this is him. Now listen, I want to bring that to our attention because this shows us the humanity of Samuel. Even Samuel had a bent toward choosing poorly. We started our passage this morning, Samuel's weeping, but then he was going to tend to make the same mistake, or not mistake, but he's going to tend to choose a second Saul in Jesse's firstborn. And listen, is this not some of our stories? We cry over the pain. We cry over a choice that didn't go well. And then we just tend to repeat the same mistake. Samuel did as much. But the good thing about Samuel is that he listened to God. He listened to Yahweh. And the even better news about Yahweh is this. Yahweh is never mesmerized by us. He never looks at an outward appearance and is like, oh, that's not what happens here. So God, in verse 7, now this is sort of, the, this is the haymaker verse of the day, right? Jesse sees, or, or, or Samuel sees Eliab, right? And he's like, surely this is the one, like he looks the part. And God says, 
Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So let me start with this. Let me tell you what the Bible's not saying here. Okay? It's not saying that God opposes tall and handsome people. Okay? Aaron Nelson would be hosed. Okay? There are a few of you here. You know you're good looking. You know you're tall. Listen, the Bible isn't, God won't use me. That's not what the Bible is saying here. The Bible's just saying this. External appearances just simply do not matter to God. So let's talk about external things, right? Let's talk about just appearance and looks. Maybe let's talk about strength. Maybe let's talk about skills. These are all external things. And the things about these, these external things is they always diminish. But internal things, specifically the heart. See, see the external things have limits. And they diminish. So God says, that's not what's important to me. What's important is the heart. Because the heart in the hands of an almighty God actually has no limits. He can grow your love for him more and more and more. He can grow your love for other people more and more and more. So God says, all these things on the outside, I know they diminish. I'm worried about what's on the inside, and that is your heart. It has no limits. So let me, I, I just got to do this. I'm going to step out of the passage because we need to just have a serious talk here about church culture. Can we do that? Okay. United States of America specifically, maybe Australia, maybe UK. I'll just throw a few of them in there. So, so here, here's what's going on. You, you, you have dudes and some women, but it's mostly dudes, and, and, the, and they go into ministry. But it's not for the sake of the ministry. It's actually for the sake of celebrity. That's what we have going on in our culture. And these guys are more interested in maybe even like, like building a, a following for them and not a following of Jesus. And they look super cool, though. Like they wear glasses with no lenses and stuff like that, right? They go super leather jackets. They wear shoes that are $2,500. Hello, preachers and sneakers. They're super extroverted. And the reality is they're not God's shepherds. They're just entertainers. And what's funny is thousands upon thousands upon thousands come to be entertained by them. And it works. Why does it work? Because it's the world's economy. So why does this matter to Hill City, Why are you even talking about this? So I'm just telling you what happens here on the regular, okay? I will walk in here on a Sunday morning. And normally, Nelson's our salt director, and maybe Molly, our communications, like, they're so gracious to me, but they'll look at me, right? And I see it in their eyes, and they won't say anything, but, but the nonverbal communication is like, you, you didn't do the mirror thing this morning, did you? <laughs> like, the look in the mirror before you leave the house, and I see it, and I'm just like, okay, what, what's going on here? And they fix me. It's like, okay, did you even comb your hair? But this happens quite a bit. And, and, and it led to a conversation I was talking with Nelson, and, and he was so gracious and humble to say, because our SALT staff, they have, they have to pick leaders every year, and their interviews and leaders. And Nelson was so, so humble, and he said, listen, all of the best leaders that we've ever had in SALT 
have been a surprise to me. Like, even the ones he looked at, and they're like, dude, super introvert guy, like, like he's a magnet. All these guys come around, and he's going to be an awesome leader. And then he comes on leadership, and he's like, this dude didn't even share the gospel one time on campus all year. But then maybe he saw a, a, a little introvert girl. You're like, there's no way. Like, she doesn't fit the part. And then she, she comes, the next thing you know, she's leading a Bible study in her dorm, and, and the girls are getting saved and baptized like crazy. And one of the things Aaron said, this was his phrase, he said, I've actually been wrong about all of them. And I'm like, man, you're in good company because Samuel was also wrong. And Samuel would have chosen Eliab if he did not rely upon God. And our salt staff, I'm telling you, they, they labor over this. They pray about who it is should be on leadership. And they would be wrong if they didn't rely upon God. So listen, here's the deal. We're going to plan a church we're going to go to a university city. we got to find a guy to send and be the pastor. What are we going to look for? Maybe here's even, listen, what about this? One day I'm not going to be here. Danny's not be here. Rob's not going to be here. Whoever it is, this church is going to have to hire another teaching pastor. What are you going to look for? What kind of questions are you going to ask? Does he look cool? Is he a magnet dude? I hope not. Because here's what we're going to ask about a church planter. Hey, how does he pray? Does he read his Bible even when he's not preparing a sermon? Does he like spending time with his wife? How does he handle conflict? Does he have a good work ethic? Is he lazy? I don't care what he looks like. These are the things that matter. And you might be thinking, well, shoot, Brad, that's good. I'm glad you just told us how to maybe choose a church planner or a pastor. But, like, we know, we, am I doing that? Thank you. Good sermon. Well, listen to me. Some of you soon are going to pick a spouse. What kind of questions are you going to ask? Can I help you out? How does he pray? Does he read his Bible? How does she handle conflict? How does she talk about her mom and dad? Does he have a work ethic? Does he have a job? Some of you came to college, you're looking for friends. Some of you are not colleges. You moved to Springfield and you're looking for friends. What am I going to do? Where do I go to find friends? How do I find them? What do I ask? What, do, what am I looking for? Here we go. Ready? Let me help you out. How do they pray? Do they read their Bible? How do they handle conflict? Are they, do they gossip? What's the point, Brad? The point is this, character, and specifically character of the heart. See, we look at this passage and we see this isn't about David, this is about God. And character of the heart matters to God and it needs to matter to us. We need to prioritize it. Now let me give you a warning in saying that because we're in the Midwest and here's what happens. I am not preaching the gospel of good character. We preach the good news of Jesus Christ here. 
not the good news of behaving well. Okay, this passage is not a passage about passing from death to life. This passage is not a passage about salvation. This passage is about choosing a person to fill a specific role. And when we are doing that, we had better start with character. Dudes, some of you dudes in this room, listen to me, you are missing out on a spouse because you're worrying more about curves than you are character. Ladies, I'm coming at you. Listen, some of you, you're worried about if a dude is six foot one or not, or if it, what kind of car that he drives, and you're not worried about character, and you're missing out on a spouse that God would have for you. This passage is about choosing a person to fill a specific role. Parents, listen to me, your parent in the room, don't wait till your kid's 18, 19, 20 to talk to them about the spouse that they're going to pick. This starts when they're five, and it's a continuous conversation. God cares about character. Let's get back to the story. Now, enter Jesse's son. So first we saw his oldest son, Eliab, but then Jesse's like, okay, not him. Samuel said no. God rejected him. Okay, next son, next son, next son, next, next, next. And he puts six more of his sons in front of Samuel. And every time God's like, nope, 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 nope. And then Samuel asked a really weird question if you just look at it on its face. Are all of your sons here? Okay, go back to what I told you. They knew who Samuel was and who he represented. And he says, I come for a king. Why in the world would there be another son? But when you know Samuel and you know that he's 100% in with God, you know why he asked the question. God told him, you go to Jesse he has a son that I am going to make king. So when God says, no, 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 the only reasonable question for Samuel to ask is, you must have another son because God said, I'm here to appoint one of your sons. You've got to have another son. And look at this response. Enter the intentionally forgotten son. There remains yet the katan. What language you speaking, dude? Sorry. There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. There remains yet the hakatan or katan, whatever word you want to use there. But what that word there is actually not, it's not a great translation to say the youngest. The word katan or hakatan actually means insignificant or unimportant. The father, Jesse, says, there's a worthless one. He's out in the fields doing the worthless job. Now listen to me. We are going to come back to that right there on October 16th. This is going to play out in David's story hardcore. But listen to me. Right there you have a father say, nope, there's an insignificant and he's unimportant. And what's he doing? He's doing an insignificant and unimportant job. He's keeping the sheep. In case you want to know what keeping the sheep would be today, it would be like if all you did your whole life was put rubber gloves on and have a plunger and just clean toilets, that's about what keeping the sheep meant. Ladies, but he did have a job. <laughs> Samuel says, go get him. 
and not just go get him. We're not even going to sit down until he is here. God said, one of your sons is going to be king. Go get him. And they sent for him. And he comes. And verse 12 says this, and he, he was ruddy and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome, the Lord said. That word ruddy, it just means dirty. It means he was tanned. Obviously, he was outside all the time with the sheep. It means that he stunk of the pasture. He stunk of sheep doo-doo. And he comes on, and God says, get your oil out. This is the one. Anoint him. We haven't even heard his name yet in the passage. Did you realize that? This is just the forgotten son. But this passage isn't about David. This passage is about Yahweh. What do we see in this passage so far about our God? Let me give you some great things about our God. Our God is really good. Amen, Hill City Church? And one of the things that he's re- that's really good about him is that he is not concerned about our human standards or the world's economy. That's really good news, isn't it? He showed us this. Another thing that's so good is that most of the time, most of the time, he chooses the most unlikely people to accomplish his will and his purposes. And he continues. He did it here, and he continues to stand human logic on its head. And you can go to this story and see, like, what in the world? Why, David? Man, that's crazy. No, listen, he gets even crazier. See, 1,000 years later, a descendant of David would come, a guy that we call the son of David. He would come on the scene. Now, enter into our scene, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, the Messiah, the deliverer, the dragon slayer, the serpent crusher who would see in his Bible that he would be reading the Old Testament. He would see Hakatan, and he would go, that's me. That's how I chose to come, as one who seemed unimportant. He was rejected in his own hometown. Is this not the carpenter? How dare he speak to us like this? And it says they, they took offense to him. He's from the wrong town. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. There's no way this is our deliverer. And then they looked at him and said, this guy's a drunk. He's a glutton. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He, he doesn't even hang out with the right people. There's no way he's our deliverer. Oh, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Even the fake glasses with no lenses ain't helping this guy. He's ugly. That can't be our deliverer. It can't be the Messiah. It can't be our king. He isn't our deliverer. He's not, listen, our deliverers don't suffer. Messiahs don't suffer. Kings don't suffer, the world would say. He saved others. Let him save himself. Let him come off the cross. Then we will believe who he says that he is. And what did these opinions mean? To Yahweh. Nothing. He had made his choice. And the Bible goes on to say in Psalm chapter 118, he was the rejected stone, and Yahweh made him the head cornerstone. What are we to do with this unreasonable choice? Well, the Bible goes on to tell us Psalm 118. 
I'm going to turn there because this is just so important. Psalm 118 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, let me just squash some more Sunday school dreams here because I'm going to put another verse uh, in context. Verse 24, we've heard this, we sing songs about it, but this is about a stone that was rejected and God said, no, this will be the cornerstone. This is marvelous in our eyes. Because this happened, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Theologian Del Ralph Davis says it like this, there is a delight that we should have over Yahweh's unusual, unguessable ways, and it honors him when we revel in his surprises. Why would Yahweh do things in unusual and unguessable ways? So he gets the glory. He's never going to pick like we would pick. Because then we could take credit. God says, no, 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 no. Yes. You would have never thought of that yes. But I'm Yahweh. And this is my story. Anoint him. So David's anointed. God says, you're going to be king. And what happens? Everything is awesome. Don't we wish? David is anointed. Check this out. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David. That's the first time you even see his name. That's significant. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So David is anointed, he's equipped by the Spirit to do what God called him to do. And here's the thing about David, he was going to need God like he had never needed God before in all of his life. Listen, Saul was still king. He didn't get anointed and walk into town and tell Saul, you're in my seat, God just anointed me king. Saul would have killed him. What does he do? It's pretty uneventful. For the third time, ladies, he just goes back to work. Goes back to the fields, do his job. Uneventful. And then you see the rest of this chapter. I'll summarize it for you. The spirit comes on David. Then it says Yahweh's spirit leaves Saul. A harmful spirit comes to torment Saul. Well, usually when a harmful spirit comes, it usually causes, it, it, it means that we're going to need some therapy. So Saul needed some therapy. They tell him about David and what David can do to relieve him. Saul says, yes, I choose David. Now, that's crazy. God chose David, but then Saul, unknowingly, he chooses David to come and help him out. David comes. Saul loves David. He has no idea this is going to be the next king. He loves him. David provides therapy. The therapy works, and the tormenting spirit leaves. That's the rest of the chapter. And you're like, great. It still sounds like everything is awesome. Listen, what is on the horizon? It's a lot of trouble. By the way, I, I'll drop some like movie stuff in and a lot of things from the office. 
and like two or three of you will come up to me afterwards and be like, hey, I got that. And I'm like, I love you. You're my people. <laughs> and then most of you are like, what is he saying? Trouble was on the horizon. Listen, little did David know that for the next not 15 minutes, not 15 days, not 15 months, for the next 15 years, he's going to spend hiding in caves. He's going to spend being betrayed by those who love him the most. He's going to spend him in deep depression and anxiety. That is what was coming. The spirit comes and then the trouble begins. Re-enter Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, the deliverer, the dragon slayer, the serpent crusher. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. great. No, look what comes right after that. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized, where the Spirit ascended, where God talks about how great his son is. He returns from the Jordan and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. This is common. The Spirit comes, and listen to me, most of the time, that just means you better get ready for war. This is going to be true for us at times. Life is going to get hard. It's going to get harder than some of us might ever imagine. You might say, but I'm following Jesus, Brad. Like, man, I came to college, I was a mess in high school, and I'm like, man, I met these people from this ministry. I'm like, yeah, Lord, I'm yours, and, and I'm even going to get baptized at the end of the month. And like, what is up with all this trouble? I'm like, you're God's man or woman now. That's what's up. I'm following Jesus. Exactly. And I just got to get, listen, let me talk to some of the, the salt kids in here, like, One day the hype is going to subside. Like, this is fun, and you're with a lot of people just like you, and this Hill City thing's super new, and salt, and, and listen, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to subside, and, and realistically, it's probably going to subside by, like, Thanksgiving. Like, that was neat. That was fun. I'm going to ask you, when the hype subsides, where are you going to be? It's going to get hard in college. Furthermore, you're like, I've purposed in my heart, I'm following Jesus, this is what I want to do in college, and here's what's going to happen. Your family's going to be like, hey, you're taking this church thing too far. Like, listen, I'm glad you found some friends, this is getting out of hand. Is this some kind of cult you're a part of? Listen, this is real talk, this happens. Listen, you're going to have friends, you're going to be like, dude, you got weird on me, like, you're weird, I don't think I can hang out, like, I'm out on this. Where are you going to go? Because listen, the spirit comes, and that just means trouble is coming, and you need to be ready for it. I don't want you to be surprised by it. You're like, Brad, but that doesn't make sense. And you need to know this truth this morning. Trouble, trouble can oftentimes come not as a sign of God's displeasure with you, but trouble oftentimes comes and it's a mark that you're a child of God. 
And you need to recognize that this morning. Trouble, trouble very well could be actually a sign of God's presence and not of God's absence. And when trouble comes in these times, you would do well to remember David. You would do even better to remember the son of David. Why does God operate like that? Can't he just make things easy? Can I tell you why God operates the way he operates? To drive us to our king and our God. So that one day, just like David, we could sing. God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in time of trouble. Not I am my strength and my help. God is, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He alone is my rock and salvation. Not I am my rock and salvation. That's why God does this because you are his kid and he wants to drive you to himself. Because he's the lead. He knows that he is God. Even when sometimes we forget, he knows that he is the center. Even when sometimes we think that we are, he is the star of this thing and not us. And his spirit, the one who knows that, his spirit is in us if we are following Jesus this morning. He shows us then how to choose. Then he equips us for our hard season. And he is our refuge, and he is our shield, and he is our salvation. Thanks be to Jesus, the truer and better David. If you're serving communion, I want you to come forward. I'd ask the rest of you to stand. week we receive communion. What I'm going to ask every one of you to do, especially on this lower level, come down the middle carpeted aisles. And we're going to have two stations, one kind of right here at, at the end of the carpet and the another one underneath the lights. And come down the carpeted aisles. You can pick which one you want to go to. And then we'll have a station in the balcony. We have stations in the back for the back half of the room. Why do we do this? Because we want to be pointed to Jesus every single week. This Bible passage that we went over today, it's not about Jesse. It's not about Samuel. It's not about David. This is about God and his son. And we want to be reminded of that even actively as we receive communion. You're going to see bread. It's going to be torn. That is absolutely representation of the body of our king that was torn. Because our king did suffer so that we didn't have to ultimately. That's going to be dipped into a cup. It's the blood that was shed for us. There'll be some people down front to pray, some elders, some staff. There'll be some people on the side if you'd rather go over there. Maybe it's that you're in a season of trouble. You're just like, man, I just need to pray. And just recognize that, it's, man, this is God saying that I'm his kid. Some of you, maybe you're not following Jesus at all. 
you heard about this spirit that could come upon you. Listen, when you follow Jesus, you get God's spirit. It's like something happened to me today, and I think I think I want to receive Christ. Man, come and let us pray with you. But let us all focus our attention on the truer and better David. Come to the table.